0: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away.
1: I'm Scott Gardner, and this is my Star Wars story.
0: In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived, and nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. When did you first hear about Star Wars?
1: I remember my... it was one of my uncles came in we were together as a family we we almost always when i was a kid we almost always got together as a family at my uh Gardner grandparents house and i can distinctly remember one of my uncles uh it was one of the younger uncles that was like just a few years older than than um than i was i wish i could remember which one it was anyway he i remember him coming into the house and just raving about this new movie that he had seen, and I cannot remember if I had heard of Star Wars before that, because unlike, um, you know, my best friend, I don't remember any trailers or commercials or anything for Star Wars. I don't really remember being aware of Star Wars much before actually being taken to the theater to see it. But that was my—that's my first real. Memory of somebody like recommending it, like they just came in and they were like, No, you won't believe this movie, you know. And I remember somebody asking, uh, I think it was another one of my uncles, Well, what is it? is it Star Trek? And I'm like, No, no, it's so much different than Star Trek because the ships move. And I just remember thinking that that was really, you know, a, a mind blowing idea, although I couldn't really picture it in more context than Star Wars or, excuse me, Star Trek. So I was imagining. Like, like Star Trek ships, but zipping around like like fighter planes was kind of the way he described it, like a like a fighter plane dogfight essentially.
0: What was the next step for you? Did that did it sit in your mind at that point? Did it go away, or is the next memory you have of just going to see it? That's that's really my first real. It's funny because
1: you jogged a memory with asking that first question. Um, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about that, that that was really the first way I remember hearing about Star Wars. But I, I anticipating your questions, I had thought, well, what is my earliest Star Wars memory? Because I figured that would probably be a question. And my earliest Star Wars memory really was walking into the theater, because here, here's confession time. The first time I saw Star Wars, I went and it was me and my dad, And my uncle, Randy, who is exactly the same age as I am, he's my dad's youngest brother, and my grandparents had a dozen kids, so we were literally the same age. We were more like brothers than uncle and nephew. And I think maybe a friend of mine, too, but I can't remember who. It was not Chris Honeywell. And we went in, and I think either we arrived at the theater late, or we got there... Pretty much on time, but totally misjudged what Star Wars was. But anyway, for one reason or another, we got into the movie, we walked into the theater house at the exact moment when Luke was bent over R2 working on him. So really, my first memory of Star Wars, My, you know, for so many people, their iconic image of Star Wars is the Star Destroyer. Yeah. My iconic image of Star Wars is Luke Skywalker with the two droids in his homestead, working on them in the garage, and then very shortly, probably as we were walking down the aisle to pick a seat, was the, you know, Princess Leia comes out, and just mind-blowing to me, you know, the idea of a hologram was something you kind of heard about, but you hadn't, to my recollection, we hadn't really seen it until Star Wars, or at least I hadn't anyway. And pretty much, even coming into the movie, what is that? That's got to be a good 20 minutes or so into the movie, maybe even longer than that. Even coming in late, having no idea what was going on, missing Darth Vader and the whole setup of the movie, just sucked right in. Sucked right into it. Because it, right away it felt real in a way that Star Trek never really did. As much as I love Star Trek, this was a lived-in science fiction world. And so there's a difference between, you know, Kirk and Spock live on the Enterprise, and that's where they operate out of. But Luke Skywalker, you could tell he grew up there, and that was his home. And it looked like, even though it was this fantastical other world and other civilization, you could tell that, that they lived there the same way I lived in my bedroom in my house. And that was a big identifier for me. And so, yeah, that was kind of the first real memory that I, that I have.
0: Where'd you see it?
1: It was at the... Um, we used to have... Gosh, you know, I can't even remember if it was a two-screener then or not. It might have just been a one-screen theater, but there was a, a theater that sadly doesn't exist anymore. It was in Watertown, New York. And, um, see, I always remember it as a duplex theater, but back then it may have just had only one screen. I really can't remember... Years later, they would expand, but (laughs) way too late. They expanded uh, just about in time for the mall to run them out of business. But uh, I remember, I I can remember lines around the building. And that's got to be either my first or second time going to see the movie. I can remember that the, you know, because the theater was not a very big building to begin with. But I mean, you know, it was decent size. It was a movie theater. And I can remember that when we went and got in line, that the line went completely around the building three times, was where we were in the line. And then more people joined the line later, and I think it expanded even beyond us. And that was the most people I'd ever seen, you know, in one place for something like that, you know, up until that time. And it just blew me away that, wow, you know, they're all here and they were all there for the same thing. You It's just Star Wars was, was huge. And, uh, What's funny is I can remember that being my first time. I can remember very distinctly my third time going to see the movie, but I really don't have any recollection of the second time I went. I don't know where, who, with, or anything, but that line thing may have been, that may have been the second time. I can't remember, but yeah, it's funny. I, it's just funny how your memory works like that, I guess.
0: Yep. What was, what was your thing before Star Wars? I mean, what were you as a kid into before you knew about Star Wars?
1: Um, Comics. Um, I was... I've... I was really... I've always been really huge on Superman, so I was really big on Superman. Um, Shazam, the old Shazam TV show. It was a live-action show I loved as a kid. But right then, in 77, the moment Star Wars hit, I'm trying to think... It was probably, it was probably like Six Million Dollar Man. Was he still on TV in 77? I think so. Um, Six Million Dollar Man, Logan's Run, um, because it was on, I think it was on TV by that point. Um, Disaster movies were really big. And that was, I mean, but there wasn't any one thing. That I re- can recall, because when Star Wars hit, that became that was my one thing. But prior to that, it was just general science fiction at that point, and and comic books. And it's funny, you know. I'm sure we'll probably talk about the influence of Star Wars on my life and everything. But it's funny that I probably. It's funny, in a way, I should probably hate Star Wars because if it wasn't for Star Wars, there's a very good chance I would have been like other kids and just outgrown all that stuff. That it would have just been one of those things you look back at your childhood and say, oh yeah, you know, when I was, you know, less than, you know, whatever, 15 or whatever, I liked all that stuff in the 70s. But yeah, I grew up and, you know, got into, you know, whatever, you know, girls or cars or football or whatever. But it was Star Wars that just kind of. Yeah, set set me on a course for life, if you know what I mean. It's funny.
0: So what was your initial reaction? I mean, here you are the first night in the theater. You you really don't know what to expect. You walk in on the hologram scene. Um, Take us through Scott Gardner's mind as he's watching that movie the first time and on the way out of the theater.
1: Oh, my God. Um, It's one of those things I wish I had better a better vocabulary for it because it's funny I've tried to talk to people about this especially like you know in in my real life you know I'm a teacher and I deal with a lot of, of well I call them kids which probably you know ticks them off because most of them are you know in their 20s or what but you know a lot of a lot of young people coming right out of high school or, or college or whatever and you know this is their first job and that sort of thing and talking to them about no you don't understand. Star Wars, what it was, the phenomenon that it was. And trying to recreate in words that experience that you really can't put into words, but it was my my best analogy is it was a religious experience. You know, it was like being born again. And it really um it seems so kind of corny and cheesy to say it, but it really like awakened something in me watching that movie as a child. Um, I was nine years old and I think I was the perfect age for that movie when it hit and it just it awakened something it lit a fire, you know, whatever corny analogy you want to use, but it's really true it just kind of it just kind of um, set me on a, on a whole path, but it definitely, I mean uh, it ignited something and I became, I, I became obsessed with it, of course, but I remember that it What was really cool about it is it wasn't just me. I mean, like, for a time, the entire world seemed to just be lit on fire by Star Wars. I mean, it was massive. And I mean, you know, here it is all these years later, and we have gotten used to blockbuster syndrome and these huge phenomenons that come out with films. And there have been movies that have been bigger, that have made more money, ...that have gotten people really excited and passionate and all these things... ...but in a funny kind of way, I don't think it's ever happened again... ...quite the way it happened with Star Wars. Movies may make tons more money these days... ...and of course, maybe this is just me, you know, again, having been nine at the time... ...but I've never seen anything since. As as huge as some of these things have been, I've never seen one since... ...that's quite done what Star Wars did... And I think it was a number of factors. I think it was the fact that, by and large, it came out of nowhere. At a time where, prior to it, to the best of my knowledge, the only real blockbuster we ever had was, was Jaws, that kind of created the term, you know, movie blockbuster. Um, there had been other phenomenons, but this one just right out of left field. And, and it just kind of took everybody's surprise and took everybody by storm. And it was huge. And I remember all the kids at school... From the nerds who you would think would be right into it to, you know, the, the douciest, yeah, I can't even talk, douchiest of the jocks were into Star Wars, at least for a time. And it was just um, mind blowing that it, it pulled all these people in. I just remember that. It was the talk. It was a talk, you know, the talk of everybody I knew. You know, my my friends and my relatives were all talking about it. Um, my dad, who by and large he kind of tolerated my geekier interests, but I think he really, for the longest time, and hell, he may still to this day, for all I know, I think he secretly longed for the day I'd kind of outgrow all this stuff and and just grow the hell up and be you know be more of a man and you know like all the stuff that he liked. Um, even he. Uh, got swept up in Star Wars and would talk about it and how cool he thought, you know, uh, Dark Vader was, which is what <laughs> he still calls him today. And, um, yeah, just, I, I can remember the, the, probably the thing that, uh, that we discussed the most and probably, um, uh, the other big, like, iconic, not iconic, uh, scene like walking in with Luke in the garage, but the iconic thing that, the thing that kept making me and I suspect my my dad and my friends wanting to go see it over and over again was was the trench run. Because it just there hadn't been anything like that before and I think the trench run in so many ways like defined the first film for me and it just became that thing that I liked I liked the entire movie I thought the whole movie was cool. But going to the theater, it was like, oh man, this is so cool. This is so cool. But you know what's coming. That big trench run at the end, it's coming up, it's coming up. And then when they'd all suit up and the X Wings were taken off from Yavin, I can just remember being such a just,
0: you know, annoying kid bouncing up and down and, you know, just just loving it. How did the, how the dynamic on the playground, you mentioned all the kids at school, every degree of kid at school, uh, was into Star Wars. Did that change the dynamic on the playground? Kids who didn't normally socialize together have a reason to get together?
1: Well, I, I, I prefaced that with for a time. Because when the movie first hit, it, it, it did seem very unifying. Where I can remember kids that wouldn't normally socialize and, and get along and even talk to each other other than, you know, give me your milk money. I can remember them all being kind of brought together by Star Wars. But that didn't last a whole long time because I can remember by the time, say, like Empire and Jedi were coming out that, you know, the, the old boundaries were kind of reestablished that I knew darn well that the bigger kid that lived next door that liked to pick on me was going to see Star Wars movies when they came out. Yet he, you know, wouldn't, you know, suddenly he he couldn't be cool, you know, he couldn't be cool anymore with his, with his buddies. Uh, and then talked to me about Star Wars. So it didn't last
0: long, but you know it was there for a while. Merchandise. Oh, Lord. You first saw it, heard of it, I mean, did you walk out of the movie theater going, I want to go buy some merchandise? I don't think, I, I doubt that. I can't
1: really remember, to be honest with you. I, I doubt that I walked out going, you know, I got to get... Because I don't remember being aware of Star Wars merchandise until... Uh, my parents came home from somewhere, or I'm trying to remember exactly what the order was, but my, in, in short, my first memory of any Star Wars merchandise was my parents presenting me with an R2 and 3PO action figure. They, they picked them up somewhere, they knew I liked the movie, and they picked me up an R2 and 3PO. And, uh, and that kind of set me on a course for the longest time of just getting anything and everything I could possibly get my hands on for Star Wars stuff. And this is where I wish I... Man, I wish I had a better memory because now that I think about it, I think a lot of that came from jealousy, possibly even, I hate to admit it, possibly even a childhood tantrum. Because if I remember right, I think Randy... I think his folks bought him some Star Wars figures, and I saw them, and it was so, like, i got to have some of those. And I think that might have been why my parents got me the R2 and 3PO, I can't remember. But I know those were my very first merch I ever got, was those two figures, and I loved them and wore them out. You know? But they were, they were awesome. And I always thought it was cool that I started with those two, because to me, uh, Star Wars, the original film, you know, starts and ends with, with R2 and 3PO. As much as I see the saga as Luke's story, and not Darth Vader's, but Luke Skywalker's story. For me, it was all the adventures of Luke Skywalker. But fittingly, I think Star Wars, the first film, is, is it's, art, it's all about Arch and 3 So I always thought it was cool that I started with those figures, because Randy started with a very eclectic... It was like a Han and a Ben Kenobi and somebody else. you know. So it was weird. It was like... Figures that, yeah, they were all in the movie together, but they weren't, like, you couldn't really... You could you have an adventure with, like, Ben Kenobi and Han Solo? Not really, you know? So I, I thought it was cooler that I, I had the buddy pair you know as my
0: first figures. You bought the figures. How far into the figures did you get? I mean, did that become an obsession? Oh, yeah, definitely. I got every single one I could possibly
1: get my hands on, and what's funny is I distinctly recall my very last Star Wars figure um, of the original line was uh, after Return of the Jedi came out I was 15 going on 16 and uh, I can remember I got some it was either birthday or Christmas money from my grandmother my other grandmother um, on my mom's side it was just enough money to go to the store and buy an action figure and I went to the store and I got the red imperial guard with the real cloth cape and all that and I got him home, and I opened him up, and I started to play, and just something inside of me just had changed. And I was like, you know, I think I'm just I'm too old for this. And I packed all my guys up, and that was the last time I ever played with my Star Wars figures. And it, it's, it so breaks my heart to look at, back on that now because I think that was right at the beginning of the Jedi figures, too. I don't think there were very many Jedi figures out at the time the Red Guard was out, but that was the last one I ever bought of the original... Uh, ones until later on, you know, when I started to, like, collect them, like, back, you know, backlog collecting them, or collecting, like, when Star Wars kind of came back many years later, I picked up a few, but I, I never got into collecting them again the way I had as a kid, but as a kid, I had all of the original film figures, I had most of the Empire figures, but in our area, there were a few figures you couldn't get your hands on, because I had A cloud car, but I never got pilots. I always wanted pilots, and I could never get them in our area. They just never had them. But I had most of the figures. And I always wanted to get the really obscure figures that you would see, like, in the catalogs. Because I remember there was, like, the blue snaggletooth and different ones. I never got any of those guys, although I wanted them. I never got them. But I anything they um, ever—and I say they, I mean Kenner Toys— Anything they ever offered for free, where you could send it, because I was I was religious about cutting out the um, proofs of purchase. And for years, I had a, a big old box of like every single proof of purchase on every single thing I ever bought that was Star Wars, and some things that weren't Kenner but weren't Star Wars. And so, if there was ever an offer, I sent away for it, and I had Boba Fett. Bosk. I had the I don't know what it was called, but there was a set that you could send away for it was related to the Empire Strikes Back. And it was like a it was like a survival kit. And it had backpacks, it had respirators, it had I think, I think that's where I got Yoda's backpack, if I remember was part of that, and some other things. And here's the heartbreaker. Is so shortly after my oldest son was born. He was our only child at the time. He was an he was in think. He was, he was young, maybe, maybe six months old. You know, it's hard for couples starting out. And we were, you know, we started out, we were broke. We didn't have a dime. And then Scotty came along and uh, it was just a simple thing as we needed to make rent one month. And I packed up all my Kenner stuff and I went to a toy shop that was in Atlanta at the time. It was called Toys from the Dark Side. And I got a lousy 300 bucks. And not to ring my own bell, but I, to this day, think I had the nicest Star Wars collection of vintage Star Wars toys of anybody I've ever known in my life. Because not only did I have most of the toys, I played the hell out of them, but I took care of my toys. It's funny, too, because I was not that kid. Most of my toys were, like, really kind of whipped because I played with them so much. But strangely, my Star Wars toys, as much as you know, I played with them, I actually took care of them at the same rate. So I had every single weapon from every single figure I ever bought. I never lost a weapon. I had all of those accessories I talked about, like from the Empire set. I had all that stuff, every piece, everything. I had all the capes and the clothes and anything they ever came with. And I had a Death Star playset, and most of the vehicles... I had I had some of the, as I would find out many years later, some of the rare playsets, like Land of the Jawas, um, and stuff like that. And, and packed them all in a box, and took them there, and I got a lousy 300 bucks for it. And it just kills my soul to think about it these days,
0: but you know, you, you do what you gotta do, but... But for merchandise, it wasn't for you just the toys. I mean, there were other things.
1: No, it's funny. You know, you asked that question. You know what's strange is the very first thing that popped into my head was this. Um, it's just chintzy ass. Um, it was what do you call it? Not a medallion, but it was like pendant. a me- pendant, and it was R two. And my aunt, who was visiting from out of town, she she bought it for me. I can't even remember where we bought it. And we no sooner got in the car and headed down the road and it came apart. It was just crap. But, no, I mean, if it was Star Wars or if it even resembled Star Wars, I bought it. And one of my favorite things to, these day, to this day, and I wish I could find one of these somewhere. And uh, most people I tell this to, unless you, like, lived in our area, most people don't know what I'm talking about. But... They, there used to be those gumball machines, you know, with, you know, you put a you know quarter or whatever in and you'd get like a spider ring or some stupid thing. But right when Star Wars was out, there was all these knockoff toys that you could get from the gumball machine. And there were these ones that resembled um, like a Carmine Infantino version of a TIE fighter. So like the cock, cockpit was too big and fat and the wings were too small, but it was clearly meant to be a TIE fighter, but it was like a knockoff toy. It was not an officially licensed product. And there were lots of stuff like that. And I had a big collection of, like, the knockoff stuff, too, which was pretty cool. And some of that stuff I still have just because I, I didn't include it with the toys and I got rid of Because at the time I was like, who'd want this? But I bet you today that stuff probably might have a little bit of value. I, I have no idea. If it was Star Wars, I wanted it. And uh, and I, I did have – I mean, I concentrated on two things – collecting that was the toys and of course the comics the marvel comics but i had a lot of of the peripheral stuff too and it's funny that another one that comes to mind was um my mom's sister used to come up she lived in pennsylvania and she used to come up every summer and she would take me and she and her husband had a winnebago and i always thought that was so cool they were like you know mentoring and billy Batson, you know traveling the highways and byways i just love that Oh, they would take me, we'd travel all over the place, because they didn't have kids, they couldn't have kids, so they liked me and they used to take me all over. And I remember one time, you know, they, they were taking me somewhere, and my parents had given me spending money, and we stopped at a department store, and there was a real, breathing Darth Vader bust that you put together. And I bought it, it was a fortune, she tried to talk me out of it, she was like, you won't like it, it's crap, and I, I couldn't be talked out of it. It looked like Darth Vader.
0: Now, is this the one where you kind of push the head back? Yes. Or, yeah.
1: And I got it. Paid. I spent everybody my money to, to pay for it. And I think she may have even had to pitch in a little bit of money to help me pay for it. And I got it, and I put it together, and it was crap because the the supposed real breathing action was nothing more sophisticated than basically it looked like the a, the top of like a Roman legionnaire's hat. You know, the Mohawk looking thing at the top of their hat, whatever that thing is called. And when you would push his head back, it would brush that brush back and forth across a piece of plastic. So it would go, shh, 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 shh. And I was like, that's Darth Vader, Respirin? No. And it was crap. And it's funny, because I was so heartbroken that they drove me back to the store, and my uncle... Who he was a he was a funny character. He's one of these guys like never says anything like Silent Bob, but when he does, it was like always something profound. And I remember him like chewing out the people at the store like, "You are going to take this back. I don't care that it's open. This child is devastated. You're going to take." And they did too. They gave it back. They gave me all my money back, and I spent it on some other crap. So.
0: <laughs> but now you also bought the Marvel. You mentioned the Marvel Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of so, have a little bit of a history of
1: Marvel. Yeah, here's the funny thing: is the more I think about it, you know, I actually should really hate George Lucas and hate Star Wars because it set such a course for my life. It really did, because everything and every, everywhere I've gone in my life and everything I am today really traces back to seeing Star Wars in the theater. You know, and uh... you know, all my geeky interests really all come back to that, and and. Probably the biggest one of all would be comic books. You know, I'm 46 and I've got an entire room in my house that's nothing but comic books. And it all owes back to Marvel Star Wars because I was a huge Star Wars fan. And I remember walking in some place and here was Star Wars comics on the stand. I can't remember my first issues. I always kind of latch onto number, I think it's number 11, the one with Luke on the cover with the two droids and he's facing off. Um, against the, the Sea Serpent and saying something about, you know, get back in the ship or we're all going to sink or uh, something to that effect. And I love it. So, I always think of that as a an Infantino cover, but I don't I actually don't think it's Infantino. But that's the earliest one I can remember. But seeing as how that was like a almost a year into the publishing, I probably had issues earlier than that. I just can't remember. But that's the one I always kind of latched onto as my first one. And I bought it, as religiously as I could I couldn't always find them in my area and it wasn't until later that I got to thinking that it's probably because other people were buying them up I always thought it was because our distribution sucked in the area I lived in because I grew up in a small town but looking back on it now it's probably I was just you know too late to to the newsstand so my my collection was spotty after um, about the time that they left the water world and were going into the wheel, because it wasn't until I was an adult buying back issues that I completed the wheel storyline and all that. Um, but I can remember, I, I, as I recall it, I don't remember, I, I think I thought that they weren't making the comics anymore. We moved or something happened. I can't remember the exact sequence of events, but I remember walking into Mike's Quick Stop in Carthage, New York, and seeing number 25 on the stands. And 25 has this beautiful cover. Yavin is large and in charge in the background, and Luke and Leia are in these very Buck Rogers-looking, Flash gordon looking spacesuits on the surface of a barren moon of Yavin, and they're being attacked by TIE fighters in the sky behind them. And it's a Carmine Infantino cover, and... Still to this day probably my favorite cover of the entire series, only because there was something about that cover that just like the movie had done, kinda of reignited my, my imagination and fired me up and I was like, Ooh. And I grabbed it and it was right at the beginning of, of one of my favorite stories about, you know, this whole thing with, you know, the there's a secret base inside the Mooney Oven. And it just kinda of lit me on fire about the whole thing again. And after that issue I never missed an issue again except for um, 38 the michael golden issue and i for some reason i never bought in single issues i never bought the empire adaptation i bought it in the in the larger you know collected thing you know the super special and that but i never bought the individuals but after that solid to the end of the series i never missed an issue after that the i know the
0: empire adaptation and the jedi adaptation both came out before the films did you get them before the films I, if you're talking, are you talking the comics or the book? Yeah, the comics. Well, uh, I know the comics made it to the newsstands before the film came out, the, in both cases. What's
1: funny is I don't remember the single issues at all as a kid of Empire. I don't remember having seen them. I didn't buy them. I don't I don't know what the deal was with that. Um, I want to say that I may have gotten this, either the treasury size or the super special before the film. Again, I can't remember, but I did. Um, read the novelization by Glott. Um, it was on the back. You know, it was in the back seat of the car on a trip from here to there. And I'm a notoriously slow reader, even to this day. And I burned through that book in an afternoon. I just could not stop turning pages. And you anyway, know, back then, well, let me see. An Empire came out in '80. I was 12. I didn't really have any concept of like spoiler alert or anything like you know. So I didn't realize, hey, stupid, you're ruining this for yourself potentially. But it didn't ruin it for me. I, 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 you know, absorbed it, and then when I went to the theater, was never disappointed that the way I envisioned it in my mind was pretty darn close to the way it looked on this. Of course, I think I would seen a lot of like um, publicity stuff and screenshots, and um, I remember that when we went to um, the drive-in, the Black River Drive-in, one time to see a re-release of the first movie. We were just you know, firing up the car, ready to leave, and all of a sudden, you know, coming next summer, and it was the um, Harrison Ford narrated trailer for Empire, and just, oh my God, you're talking about flipping out of your mind. I was such a spaz. What was funny is that that was the time that I took my tape recorder with me, and I recorded all of Star Wars. So I knew Star Wars better than most of my friends, because I had a recording of it that I listened to, you know, it had to be a million times. So I knew like every every line of dialogue, every sound effect, every piece of music, backwards, forwards, and upside down. And, but for some reason, I didn't stop recording right at the end of the credits. It's, maybe I forgot it was even on. So I captured that trailer And my reaction to it. And I I wish I knew what happened to that tape. Because listening back to it, I used to crack myself up that I was just a spazzle when that trailer came on. Because I was just flipping out. I'm like, oh my God, there's another movie. And uh, so I kept up with, you know, in like whatever it was, Famous Monsters or whatever, the progression of Empire coming out and all that. And here's the funny thing. So I knew about Empire before going into the theater. I'd read the book. I knew the whole thing. And then fast forward to Return of the Jedi, and I get a phone call one night, and it's my best friend, Chris Honeywell. And I don't know if people know this, but he's a bastard, and he was giving me such crap because for the first time in our friendship, he knew something about Star Wars that I didn't. Because he had managed to score a copy of the super special for Return of the Jedi, this was this was like mere days before the movie was coming out. But he he scored it and he read it and he called me up just to taunt me. Oh my God, I know the whole story. You're not going to believe this, and you're not. But he wouldn't tell me anything, but just that he knew. And uh, yeah, I've I've never I've never forgiven him for that. But no, he uh, he did. He read that one first. I. As I recall, I don't think I did. I think going into that, I don't think I knew anything of the of the secrets of it. What's funny, though, is that it, it's funny to think about this today, and this is another thing that saddens me, that you know anybody after my generation is never going to experience this, no matter how carefully their parents try to set it up for them. They're never going to experience Empire and Return of the Jedi the same way as, as we did in that there was a three-year gap between those movies. And I can remember there being a pretty even divide between the people that I knew and the friends that I had between was Vader telling the truth or was Vader just messing with Luke's head. And I can remember there was this really pretty girl that I was friends with, always scamming on this chick and it never happened. But she was f- firmly convinced that there is no way that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Fi- no way that that's true. It's all crap. This is just something Vader said to, to mess with Luke. But from the moment I saw, um, oh, it must have been from reading the book, actually, because that was in the book. For, but the moment I learned you know, that, that scene you know, where Vader says that, I believed it wholeheartedly. I, it never occurred to me that he would be lying. It, it Just for some reason it clicked with me that, yeah, that, ma- that actually makes sense. I can't remember why exactly I was so convinced. It just seemed like, well, that's that's a great twist. Why not? Why wouldn't it be true? And I and I believed it, so I was pretty convinced on that. So when it was revealed in in Return of the Jedi, it was almost anticlimactic. Like, well, yeah, I, I believe that anyway. Um, you know, and then all the other stuff that followed. But I can't recall having any foreknowledge of the Jedi before going. I don't. I think by that point, the idea of hey, you could spoil this for yourself had kind of. Hit me at that point.
0: Did did Chris ruin it for you? No,
1: no, he didn't. No, he he held it over my head, but no, that's the cool thing about it. No, he didn't spoil anything for me. He just kind of held it over my head that hey, I know everything that happens,
0: and you don't. (laughs) You were surrounded. I mean, this is an era where there was Star Wars merchandise everywhere, everywhere. Uh, What was it that stood out that made you say, "I've got to buy this"? Um, You couldn't buy everything. Right. Well, you know, something else that, uh, that I'd
1: almost forgotten about, um, this is this is a great one to answer your question, is Star Wars cards. Um, I can even remember what they cost. They cost 16 cents. And I remember that because when I first started collecting them, we, we lived in a place called um, Carthage Arms. And it was, I mean, it's literally like in the middle of nowhere. And the closest little mom-and-pop convenience store was clear across town and you had to walk through the cemetery to get there. And I was willing to carry cases of Pepsi bottles so my dad was a junkie for Pepsi all his life. So if I was willing to carry the cases of Pepsi bottles, and these were the full sixteen ounces, you know, the big ones,
0: you get a good deposit. on
1: Good deposit on them. them, and he and he would let me just have them. He said, if you are really willing to carry that crap all the way across town to that store, you can have whatever you can get for him. So I would do it every couple of days. He'd have another case or two empty, and I would carry him all the way across town through the spooky cemetery to the little mom and pop convenience store to get whatever I got for him. And it seemed to me that. I would always get like some, it was like an even number, so it was like, I'd get like 30 cents, or maybe it was like 30, it was either enough, it was either like just enough that I couldn't get two packs, or just enough that I could get two packs, I can't remember, what well, was one or the other, but you know, it's like the cards were 16 cents, and then the deposit was like 30 cents or something, so it was like two more pennies and I could get two packs, but... But I I, see, I do seem to remember there being times where the owner of the store would cut me some slack because after a while he got to know me and he just like waved the two cents kind of thing, as, as I recall. But man, I was a junkie for Star Wars cards. And uh, what was cool was that everybody else at school was doing Star Wars cards too. So, you know, even if you bought your 5,000th pack and it was all the same cards you already had or whatever, there was enough kids at school doing the same thing that you could trade. And I had complete sets of every one of them from the first film the only one I never completed a set of was um, you know what this goes all the way back to your first question or one of your first questions about what, what was your first knowledge of Star Wars I'd completely forgotten this my grandma federally gave me a Luke Skywalker Wonder Bread card and I think that might have been my first exposure to Star Wars was that card, and I still have it somewhere but I never got a complete set of the Wonder Bread cards because my mother didn't buy Wonder Bread. but My grandma did, and whenever I'd go see her, she'd give me Wonder Bread cards. So I had Wonder Bread, Star Wars, and Close Encounters, and something else that they had. Um, but I never do- did get all the Wonder Breads. But somewhere in a box, somewhere, I've still got you know the blues, the reds, the yellows, green, orange, all of those. I think I've got complete Empires... And I'm not sure about my Jedi cards. Again, by the time Jedi was coming out, I was starting to kind of... As far as the collecting aspect, I was starting to kind of wane on Star Wars. So about the time that the Marvel comics wrapped up, I kind of wrapped up with Star Wars for a while, too. And, uh, And it wasn't until, you know, the resurgence that I kind of got back into
0: it. What was it that made a piece of merchandise stand out for you as opposed to something else?
1: Well, when I was... Really young, You know, like when the first movie was out and I was 9 and 10 years old, I had no crap filter. So if it was Star Wars, I, I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until probably Empire, you know, between Empire and, and Jedi that... And, of course, there was such a glut of Star Wars that I had to kind of develop a filter. So it was things that um, kind of lent more into... Star Wars, kind of like if it enhanced the story or if it told me more information. That was one of the things I like. Of course, I loved the comics because it was more Star Wars story. You know, it was like the further adventures of the characters. Where what are they doing between the movies? So you could follow more of what was going on with them. I liked the figures because it was my chance to like have a piece of the movie, but also create my own adventures and do my own things with them. And I liked the cards because the later editions of the cards showed you, you know, the picture on the card typically would show you something you didn't see in the movie or an, an alternate take from an earlier card set or behind the scenes or whatever. But also, a lot of the later sets, you'd flip them over and there would be little factoids, you know? You'd learn about, you know, who Alec Guinness was or who Ben Burt was or, you know, all these people that went into the making of the film. And it's the only time in my entire life as a kid that I remember being fascinated by the people behind the scenes. Because typically with, with movie, even to this day I'm not really, I don't, you know, just give me a good movie. I'm not really into the celebrities behind, you know or even the, the technical people. But I mean, here's a, a 9 and 10 year old kid understanding the concept of sound design and knowing Ben Burtt by name and, you know, John Dykstra and Gary Kurtz and all these people. I mean, Today, find me a nine-year-old that knows the production people behind any movie. You know, that just doesn't happen, and it really shouldn't happen. It, it, it's kind of an unhealthy obsession with something that you're that into it as a nine-year-old. But it, it was true. I really was. And I know. You know, there's lots of other kids right around my age that were the exact same way. You know, that's why we, you know, when we do things like you know, Star Wars conventions, we geek out about, you know, these behind the scenes people that by all rights should be unknowns. But we know them and we've made celebrities
0: of them. I think that's kinda cool. How how did the sequels, we've talked a little bit about Empire and Jedi, how did how did those movies affect your fandom? Did they make it worse? Did they make it uh did they expand on what you what you were already doing? Empire,
1: um Empire is still the big one for me. It's it's still my my personal favorite of the three movies and Empire still lives the best memory or still lives the best life in my memory because Empire was just such a huge thing. As huge as the first movie was. And it set that tone and set that precedent and kind of got the, the whole phenomenon and the whole ball ball rolling. It was really empires where, to me, everything peaked. I don't think in Star Wars fandom, for me personally anyway, there's ever been anything that's quite been at that same level of, of empire because everybody was just anticipate everybody. It was like the world was holding its breath for empire. And I can remember um, just being a junkie for any... Information about Empire. You know, what was it going to be about? Who was going to be in it? Was everybody going to be back together? And, you know, was Luke and Vader finally going to fight? And just all these crazy things. And uh, it's funny, the, the best story I can tell about Empire, honestly, is um, I used to buy my comics and magazines and things from, there was a little cigar shop that was uptown in Carthage, New York, where we lived at the time. And I was uh, 11 or 12 years old and a magazine came out and i want to say it was like famous monsters or fantastic film or one of those kind of magazines it had the very first set pictures from the empire strikes back Were in it i remember one of them was like a hoth scene with the millennium falcon and han and droids in the background and stuff i can't remember the other pictures that were in there and they were in black and white i don't even think they were color pictures It was just one or two pictures, but I wanted it. I was dying. I had to have it. You know, it's new Star Wars. And I went out to... My dad was waiting in his truck, and it was him and a buddy. And they were sitting in the truck, and they were waiting. And um, I went out, and I begged my dad, Dad, there's this magazine. it has got pictures in Star Wars me. Gotta have it, gotta have it. And, uh, you know, begging him for the money to buy it, because it was more money than the comic that I went in to buy or whatever I went in there for. And... You know, just begging him and begging him and being really obnoxious. And he gave me the money. I was so excited to get this thing. I turn around and I'm going to blast back into that store as fast as I can and get that thing. And ran smack into a parking meter. Which, at that age, parking meters and me were at the exact same height. Split my skull open. Knocked myself unconscious. And, uh, yeah, that was my... That was my Empire... <laughs> my first exposure to the Empire Strikes Back was a cracked skull. But, uh... You know how it fed. um, I mean, Empire just you know it just brought it to a whole new level. It changed play with the action figures, of course, because then Han's off the table. So a lot of the adventure, the adventures I would have with me and my friends with the figures, you know, always fell into two categories: either it was the search for Han Solo, typically you know resolved with with you know the rescue and release of Han Solo, or um, we would go kind of comic style and like Han wasn't even in, in the equation. you know the Han figure stayed in the in the carrying case and you just had an adventure without Han and then Luke and Leia drew much closer and you know and uh, what was funny is I remember I had a um, I had a I can't remember if it was a Star Wars themed van or not, but I had this van. It was one of those die-cast metal vans. And it was the exact same size as Star Wars figures. I can remember having a lot of adventures in that post-Empire era where Luke and Leia were, like, gallivanting all over the place in this van, right? Yeah. And this was, like, after uh, Corvette Summer had been out. So Corvette Summer had had influenced my Star Wars figure play quite a bit as well. So Luke was a little more hip. Yeah, he had a little bit looser girlfriend. <laughs>
0: Were there times when you found yourself picked on oh, because you were a Star Wars fan? Mercilessly, mercilessly. That really hit
1: more when I got a little bit older. We moved to a different um, side of Carthage. I moved away from, you know, I was still in the same town and everything, but I moved further away from uh, the friends that I'd had when we lived uh, in Carthage Arms and everything. We, we moved to a different side of town called uh, West End Avenue, right across the street from the paper mill where my mother worked. And all the kids that were immediately in the area, like my next door neighbor and all the kids I rode the bus with, basically, I didn't have a safe zone. I didn't have anybody that rode my bus that I was pals with, nobody my age. Everybody was older than me. And they all picked on me mercilessly because they, you know, it was like a band of bullies. Rather than like one bully, it was like a band of bullies. So I didn't, there were no other geeks on the bus. And that was hard. That was brutal. And I can remember. You know, my favorite times of that era was when, like, because it was right around the same time. Because Chris and I, we knew each other from from fourth grade. We met in the fourth grade. But we really didn't, like, become really good friends and start hanging out until right around the time Empire was out. Because we shared a grade together. That must have been about, I don't know, what the hell grade are you in when you're 12 years old? Eighth grade? Something like that. Seventh, eighth grade? It was right around Empire, though, I can remember that, because it was 1980, and we started hanging out. And then, so, when we became really good friends, um, a lot of time he'd come and hang out at my house because, you know, I had all the Star Wars figures, you know, I had my own record player, and I used to play all the soundtracks and all that, so he'd come and hang out with me. So, we would ride the bus together, so then I had, you know, somebody else that was on my side riding the bus, and we'd let the bus let us off in town, and then we would... Um, jump the train as it came through the town and ride it all the way out to the paper mill. Uh, you know, it was totally illegal and could get you killed, but we used to love it, you know. We used to do that. Just to avoid having to ride the bus all the way home. Because, yeah, I, I did. I, I got picked on a lot about it. Um, one of the older kids had a very unflattering name for me that when I hear the name to this day just irritates me because I, I, it's like, it just has a, that negative association, you know, but That's another thing that, um, you know, for good or for ill, I don't think kids today quite experience that the same way. With with geek being as chic as it is these days, I don't know that kids take the merciless picking on that they did, you know, of of geeky kids of my era. I I suppose that's a good thing, but at the same rate, there's something in the back of my mind that nags, going, yeah, they haven't earned it the way we did. You know, we had to, we had to. We had to withstand persecution, you know? We were, you know... It just... It kind of feels that way sometimes.
0: Was there ever a period for you where your fandom cooled?
1: Right after... Right after Return of the Jedi. And it it wasn't like I was disappointed with Jedi or anything. It's like I understood that the saga had come to a close. And so... While I was sad when Marvel Star Wars came to an end, at the same time... There was something, and I don't know if it was conscious or subconscious, but there was something in me that understood that, well, you know, all good things must come to an end. You know, they defeated the Empire, and I wanted them to live happily ever after. And so, you know, the longer the series dragged on, there was I I, I think I understood on some level that there was more potential that they weren't living happily ever after, and that's what I wanted for them. And so I was kind of cool when the whole thing ended with it being, well, well, that was it. And that was a hell of a ride, and I really enjoyed it, but I, I'm okay now. It's it's done, and, and that's it. I think that's one of the reasons I never really heavily got into the EU, because in the EU, they didn't really live happily ever after. And, you know, if you if you followed the, the EU to any degree, their lives kind of sucked. They went through a lot of stuff. Yeah, they got married and things happened, but they lost children and loved ones, and you know, yeah, that's kind of real life, but with these people, these were my heroes. I didn't want them to be real people. You know, to a, to a degree, I wanted to keep them on that pedestal, and I wanted to see them get a rich reward of Happily Ever After for the things that they'd already been through, for the for the war that they'd already fought. So, yeah, I did. And then when Star Wars came back, uh, you know, with, like, the Zahn books, you know... Granted, I think they're poorly written. I don't think they're terribly exciting and all that, but I will grant you that a lot of my thing of why I'm not all that crazy with them is that again, there, there's instances where I think you you can't really go home or, or it's not this it's not recapturing the same thing. I didn't really need to check back in with them. And I especially didn't need to check back in with them and find out oh, you know they're not living happily ever after. Now, I know that that would make for a really boring book to check back in with, you know, Luke and the gang and find out, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're retired now and we're living on the beach and this is pretty much what we do. Yeah, that'd be a really boring book, but at the same rate, to pick back up with them and see that for all that they went through, life was no better. I didn't like that, and I think that's one of the reasons I I never really got back into it. It's one of the reasons I'm a little bit nervous, actually a lot bit nervous, I want to admit it to myself, about the new set of movies as well, because one of the recent rumors that I've heard was that uh, the story doesn't end at Return of the Jedi, that they did not really defeat the Empire, they just took down the big guy. I don't know if I'm cool with that. You know, I, I think they earned their happily ever after. You know, in, in a lot of ways, I don't ever need to see, you know, Snow White two, which is kind of what it feels like the the, the um, sequel trilogy is kind of shaping up to be. I I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, and I don't want to be a naysayer. I mean, it may come out, it may be the most amazing thing there ever was, but just in the context of Return of the Jedi. I was kind of happy with where where things wound up, you know. The gang was all back together, and they took down the bad guy. And okay, you know,
0: wrapped up. What what gets you excited for Star Wars now? I mean, you you, you kind of acknowledged a little cooling after Jedi. What what picked you back up? Um.
1: It came in dribs and drabs for the longest time because the things that got me reinterested and reignited for Star Wars were not... I noticed this was kind of a, a weird divergence with the with my friends and peers. It was not the same things they were excited about. My friends and, and peers were excited about the Zahn novels. I was not. The world went nuts over the Dark Empire comic book series. I didn't. I thought they were kind of boring and really drawly, uh, poorly drawn. Um... But it came in dribs and drabs when when the tales of the, what the hell is it called? Tales of the Jedi Knights or whatever that was called. Tales, tales. of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. When that stuff came along with like Nomi Sunrider and all that, it so was tales kind of, of intriguing when it when it first came along, and I kind of got into that, and I thought it was interesting and everything. But then it quickly kind of wore out its welcome because um, mostly I've largely always been an art guy when it comes to comics. And after about the second or third mini with the old Republic stuff, they kind of cheaped out on the art, and that's when they started to lose me. And plus, they started to get way too mystical, and I never really liked that side of Star Wars. When it gets too much, like, fantasy or something, I don't really know when they started to get into, like, Norin Rad and all that kind of thing, I just kind of... Was that no? That that's the Silver Surfer. Yes, yeah, so What's a,
0: what's a Exar Kun? I think is yeah, Exar
1: Kun, and there was the guy that had Rad or Nad or something in his name. I can't remember. You, you know who I'm talking about? The guy that died on Yavin Four and all that. Plus, that was another thing. The, this need to tie everything together always made me you know kind of like really. Um, but I'm trying to think. You know, to answer your what what kind of fire? I guess largely it had to do with. Uh, you know, when it really looked like Star Wars was was on the uptick again. And then, of course, there began to be the rumors that, hey, you know, Lucas is thinking about coming back and, and doing more movies and all that. So I got really interested, but I don't think I was really back until the first trailers started to come out for uh, Phantom Menace. When when those trailers hit, and, you know, say what you want about Phantom Menace today and in hindsight, and and even when it came out, the trailers... Even to this day, the trailers are pretty exciting. I, I can watch an episode one trailer and be like, "Oh my god, that's awesome!" F- totally forgetting the finished product, which I'm not completely down on. But at the time when when episode one came out, I was I was pretty devastated. I was like, you know, this kind of kind of sucks. I've since changed my opinion on that, but when it hit, I was not a fan. Um, I can remember probably one of the saddest things I've ever I've ever experienced was. Uh, Randy and I got together. God, I can't even remember where I was living or where he was living at the time. But somehow or other, we we got together. It was the first time we'd seen each other in a long time. And we went to the theater to see um, episode one together. And I'd already seen it. And I didn't know how to preface the movie for him, so I don't think I said anything. And we went in and walked out, and he looked like he just was going to cry. He was like, that sucked. And it just crushed me because I didn't disagree with him at the time. And uh and yeah, you know, and here's a guy that shared the exact same childhood experience as I did going to see Star Wars for the first time, you know, as nine year olds. And yeah, it was it was different. Um but I mean I've always kept it I've always kept it you know, this is gonna sound so corny, but I've always kept it alive in my heart, if you know what I mean. Because I mean, I'm still a diehard fan, but a lot of it to me these days is kind of it's all it's all uh, uh, you know nostalgic feelings for it. Because I'm I'm still I mean at heart I'm still a a original trilogy boy. You know it's it's all about the original films and everything, uh, especially the first two. I've kind of cooled on Jedi a bit over the years too. I, I look at Jedi now and. For it being the last of the original trilogy and all the innovations that went into it and everything, there's a lot of elements that I look at at Jedi today, and it it plays a little cheesy to me these days. It plays a little um, cheaply somehow sometimes, and that, that bugs me when I watch it. And I will fully confess that when I do sit down to watch Jedi, I start... Um, Right when they are flying away from tattooing, I don't ever watch the beginning of the movie. I just—it's painful to me to, to sit through the whole sail barge sequence and everything. Um, I don't know. It's—it's it's hard to explain, but I'm—I'm just—I was never really a, a fan of the way the movie um, begins, and as I get older, it—it it seems to get worse. What is what is your favorite
0: part of your Star Wars collection?
1: I knew you were going to ask this, and I have no idea how to answer it. You know, one thing I haven't touched on at all in any of this, and I was just thinking about this, was uh, you know, going back to Chris Honeywell, my best friend. You know, we met in the fourth grade, and we met and, and became friends. I feel to this day, our friendship really hinges on Star Wars, our mutual love of Star Wars. And I can remember when we were doing trades in fourth grade for, you know, we were trading Star Wars figures, we were trading Star Wars cards, we were trading just anything Star Wars. We were tra- constantly trading back and forth. And he came to school one day and he had some mojo, man. He It was like he was the kid with the prison cigarettes, you know. He had a tape and it was not like the official tape it was like he had made you know he had taken like you know some zertron brand or something cassette tapes and he had recorded the two album set of the john williams score the the 2 you know the two album disc that was out at the time and he had it on cassette and that was his you know his collateral in the trade i don't know what i traded it for i have no idea what i traded it for but i got it from him and I listened to that sucker till I wore it out. It literally broke one day. I listened to it so much and I was crushed. And so for that Christmas, my parents bought me the, the two album, you know, the actual record itself. And somewhere I still have that thing. And uh, I haven't listened to it in years, although, you know, I have somewhere I have a, you know, somebody did a rip of the album that I listened to, but I treasured that thing. I listened to that. And, you know, you talk about, or I talk about, you know, how Star Wars set me on a path with the kind of movies that I like, with the comics that I've collected. It also set me on a whole other path with the music that I listen to to a point that all these years later, I've really narrowed my focus musically to where I I listen exclusively to film scores. And that all goes back to Star Wars. That all goes back to the original John Williams soundtrack. Just, there was something about it that just lit a fire in me. Because I was always aware of movie music because I remember, uh, you know, another movie that I had taped off of TV as a kid was Logan's Run. And I listened to Logan's Run... Repeatedly, and one of the big reasons I like listening to that was the score by uh, by Goldsmith. So I, I think I was already kind of pre-programmed in a way to like film music, but it was really Star Wars that solidified that. And so I, you know, I, I just became, uh, you know, an avid film score collector. So definitely, you know, while it's not exactly like a tangible thing. You know, definitely having the the complete scores in in my personal Star Wars collection is a big deal to me. Especially when they... I remember uh, this had to be about 93 or 94... When they released the four CD mm-hmm. box set that for the first time had so many tracks that all my life I'd wanted a, a, a clean copy of.
0: And we thought that was so complete at the time. Yeah,
1: and it's not even complete, mm-hmm. but at that time it was pretty darn complete. And I can remember the, some of the tracks I became so excited about was the lift off of the X Wings from Yavin 4, I had never been on an album before that. And I, I just thrilled to that. The uh, When Han turns the falcon and attacks the star destroyer and the empire strikes back that to this day is one of my favorite pieces of star wars music and up to that point had never been released and you know again I sound like such an old fart to keep saying this but it's these things that you know kids today growing up star wars are never going to experience that that I came up through that and those are those, that's really where my memories you know stick with with that but if you're looking for like a tangible answer i'm trying to think like what would be like like if I, you know, if there was one. If I had to like get rid of my Star Wars collection, or like my house burned down tomorrow, and I could save one piece of my Star Wars collection, what would it be? And man, that's almost an impossible thing to think about. Um, I mean, definitely my complete collection of of Marvel Star Wars means the world to me because that to me, and in so many ways, even beyond the movies, that's my Star Wars. Is is the Marvel series? Because you have to remember, you know, when when I was a kid. You know, you you couldn't just pop in a disc or a cassette and watch Star Wars whenever the hell you wanted to. If you wanted to relive Star Wars the movie, then you broke up the six issues of Marvel Comics. So that was Star Wars to me, and it still is. Even beyond the films, that's Star Wars. So those that collection of comics is probably my most cherished Star Wars collection. But I'm trying to think of like one object, and that's tough because I mean I've got a lot of the. The, the magazines that were put out at the time, like World of Star Wars, which was one that I think that folded out or something. It was like a magazine that, f- like a trifold or whatever you call that, and they had, um, you know, I had, I had all that stuff. I had the Iron-On book, and, oh, man, I'm really trying to think. Like, one piece. Probably, like, an issue. I have several issues now that I've had signed by creators of you know of Marvel Star Wars um, you know I had uh, Joe Duffy sign some issues for me and uh, some of the artists I don't that I don't know it's funny I'll probably listen to this later and be like why didn't you say that but I at the moment I can't think of any one single thing
0: what has Star Wars brought to your life that you never expected
1: oh wow um I mean everything everything If you, it's one of those scenarios, it's like a, uh, it's almost like a wonderful life scenario. If you could go back to 1977 and Star Wars never happened, I would not be who I am today. I wouldn't be here, you know, where I work. I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't have the friends that I have. Uh, I wouldn't have any of the stuff that I own. I don't think... Again, I think without Star Wars... I mean, there, there's really, there's two things that, uh, that made me a comic collector, and that was Star Wars and Superman the movie. But I think because I was not particularly enamored of the Superman comics that were coming out at the time, and that Superman was in theaters and even beyond... I mean, Superman in the comics, to me, doesn't really start until 86 with John Byrne. And it kind of ends... After Burn left in a lot of ways, even though I continued to collect it for like 20 years after, hoping the guy would come back. But my point is that it was Star Wars that really got me into comics and kept me collecting comics, you know, through that entire run into the 80s. So that when, when Star Wars ended in the comics, you would think that... Well, that would be it. He'd stop collecting comics. But no, by that point, I was so immersed in comics that I just found other things to spend my money on in the world of comics. I don't think that it ha- would have happened without Star Wars. I-, I don't think that I would have discovered comics, or if I did discover them, I, I think I'd be, you know, like say, like my friend Chris, to where, like, you know, like all kids I knew at that time, that they- you collect comics for a while and then you grow up, you know, and you- you- at some point you're just like, nah, I don't need to buy these things anymore. I probably would have been like that. I probably would have been more or less just a normal kid without Star Wars, because you know, like I, you, you know, your very first question: what was before Star Wars for me? Well, all those things faded. You know, nothing, nothing from that era, other than sweet memories and everything. None of that stuff survives today, really. I mean, Six Million Dollar Man is not really a thing anymore, and. All that, so I think you take Star Wars out of the equation, I'm a completely different human being, completely different. Whereas today, with Star Wars, you know, I have a room full of comics, and you know, I'm I'm part of a of a podcasting network that all spins out of Star Wars and comic books, you know. So, yeah, and um, I I've never really. Uh, made any bones about the fact that, you know, I think it's the, the podcast and doing what we do on the podcast that really led me directly to what I'm doing in my job today, you know, conquering uh, a lifelong spirit, uh, fear of public speaking. I can now stand in front of a classroom of kids and, and teach for eight hours. I couldn't public speak when I was a kid. I was scared to death to stand in front of people. And I think it's that progression from podcasting to doing panels at conventions to, you know, standing in front of a classroom of kids. All that stuff goes back to Star Wars. Because Star Wars is what led me to comics, what led me to podcasting. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds cheesy to say it, but it really is true. I mean, Star Wars made me who I am in in so many very real ways. It's, It's really true. And, um... It's one of the reasons that uh, it it, it pains me when I hear people run down George Lucas. Because, you know, you you can have your opinion, you can think what you want of, you know, later products that he did. But without that man, we wouldn't have gotten any of the stuff that so many fans want to go back and say, oh, he ruined this and he ruined that and, you know, he destroyed my. No, he didn't. He didn't. All the things that you're angry about thinking that, you know, he, he retroactively ruined it. Well, he created those things in the first place. So to me that that generates all the goodwill I'd ever need. He can do what he wants. It's his world. He created it. So you know, I, I, I should hate the guy for setting me on this crazy course of life, but I'm actually very thankful. I think I think that's really cool.
0: Where is your Star Wars story at this point. Ooh, that's a very hard question
1: because I'm torn at the moment, really deeply divided. Because when Disney acquired Mar uh, excuse me acquired Lucasfilm, I was ecstatic. For those that don't know me, uh, I work for the Walt Disney World. Uh, Organization, so it may seem very self-serving, and it is, I'll admit, to a certain degree. To to be, you know, to be so excited, naturally, very excited about it. But it was more than that. Is that I, I think that Disney, uh, for the most part, ten, tends to be a very good steward of its properties. But slowly, here and there, in dribs and drabs, things have happened and are happening that are not giving me a good vibe. Throwing out the EU um, I don't think was a good move in a lot of ways. And it's funny that I feel that way because, you know, just six years ago we, we did an episode, one of our very first episodes, that was essentially we just slagged off the EU. Like, that's ah, a bunch of crap. But, and you know, and it's funny because in a, in a certain kind of way I still kind of feel that way. That A lot of it is crap, but at the same rate, when you have sold people a, a certain bill of goods, you know, when you sold people on the idea of, you no, know, this is the continuity, and we're going to feed it, and we're going to maintain it, and we're going to put people in charge of it, even if it's crap, I think you're kind of beholden to those people that have supported it for all those years to not just walk up and go, well, we own it now, and we're throwing it all out, which is kind of what's been done. I think that's unfair. And it really it, it strikes me as odd that I feel that way because, again, just not long ago I'd have been you know, doing cartwheels. Hey, they threw out the UU, and all that crap doesn't matter. I don't feel that way anymore. I think it's kind of a disservice to so many people to treat it that way. I, I, and I, I don't feel that they really had to jump through a lot of hoops to incorporate it uh, with whatever direction they're taking with the future films. One of the reasons I feel that way is that, you know, this new movie that's going to come out is going to be set more or less real-time as many years past Return of the Jedi as have passed in real life. So the characters are going to need backstories anyway, so why not just go with the backstory we've already been presented? It just seems logical to me and kind of silly that, you know, you're going to throw out the EU only to have to establish a back EU anyway. That's just, that's maddening to me. It's very weird and... Anyway, um, that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. Um, handing the whole thing over, and of course I, I you know, I recently learned I guess it's not the whole thing after all, it's just the first movie, but still, the first movie kicks everything off. Handing that over to J.J. Abrams makes me incredibly nervous. I've never been terribly enamored of the guy in the first place. I'm not sure where he gets this killer rap from, because I've never really seen it. And... I realize this is probably going to come off sounding like sour grapes to a lot of people, but I'm pretty pissed at what he's done with Star Trek, which is one of my other great you know loves, and it almost feels like Star Trek um, is almost his re- like this is almost his reward for Star Trek, and I, I don't I I don't like that. You know, I don't like that he comes in, he upsets the apple cart, changes everything that you've ever loved and followed for one franchise. Now he's been handed the other big franchise from my childhood and is seemingly on a very similar path at the moment. Nothing matters, but what he says matters. And, you know, he's setting the whole tone. It makes me really nervous. That said... At the same rate, you know, the other half of the equation is I I am actually really excited. I'm glad that Star Wars lives. I'm glad that Star Wars survives. Um, I know that you have often said on on Dinner for Geeks that you're that guy that wishes that, you know, you're that one person that wishes that George Lucas is in the equation. I'm just here to say you're not alone, brother, because I feel the same way. It pains me that he's not part of the equation. Now, I realize that he was handed a big fat check with a whole lot of zeros at the end of it, for his property, but just the simple fact that he's not going to be there, even in in a George, uh, excuse me, in a Gene Roddenberry capacity for this new set of films. I mean, literally makes me want to cry. It's like, but it's his baby. He created this. How can you cut the guy out just because you don't like the last three movies? I think that's mean. And to hear so many fans support. Or at that point of view, hey, these movies aren't going to suck because he's not involved in it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You wouldn't even have this thing without this guy. So that that hurts. Um, so I wish I had a better answer for you, but at the moment, divided is probably the best way I could really sum up how I feel about Star Wars. I was just starting to really give the the Star Wars EU the first serious shake since the Zahn novels came out way back, and when was that? Ninety one or whatever uh, that I really have done since that time was actually kind of digging it and kind of getting into it right at the same time that they said, you know what, this doesn't matter anymore. And the minute they said that, I, I quit cold turkey. I really have no interest at this point. If it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. I'm not going to waste my time. But I can understand how other people feel because in order to prep myself to get back in, I bought all the material I'd missed. I actually have an entire bookshelf in my house now full of something that I just finished paying for that I'm now told doesn't matter. So I understand where people are, and, it, and it's created this divide for me personally. I think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot because there's all these new set of exciting, new-sounding books that are coming out. I have no interest in any of them because the last thing I'm going to do is set myself up for a brand-new continuity that 20, 30 years from now they're going to tell me, oh, you know what, we decided to reboot again, and that doesn't matter either. I'm not a fan of reboot syndrome and doing it to Star Wars I mean is a horrible thing because if there was one thing I thought was bulletproof from the reboot syndrome I thought for sure it was Star Wars and to find out that's not the case is, is distressing you know at the very least um but I remain I remain you know just as passionate about the original Star Wars as I ever was. I enjoyed the sequels, or excuse me, prequels, rather, to varying degrees. I'm not a hater. Uh, I did find a lot to like in them. So I latch on to the, the the seven movie saga as a whole. And it is seven movies, it's not six, because it was another one that I actually had my ass in the theater seat for. So other people can throw Clone Wars out, but I was there. <laughs> um, That's so. the only
0: one I think I'd like to throw out. <laughs>
1: But, uh, you know, so I, I consider myself a fan of those, and, and I still latch on those. I'm cautiously optimistic for where it goes in the future, but whether I'm on board with what J.J. and crew bring with new movies, the saga that has existed prior I, I think is still in really good hands. I think the stewardship overall is in pretty good hands, and it's just exciting to think that... Um, you know, unless colossal mistakes are made. I think Star Wars is, is assured of, you know, having a, a, good long, uh, a good long run and a good long life. Probably outliving most of us that were there in 77. Which, I like that. I think that's pretty cool because it, it has often been described as a, as a modern uh, mythology for our times. And I think now, being owned by who it's owned by and stewarded by who it's stewarded by, I think it's, that's pretty much assured. And I think that's pretty cool.
0: Thanks for being a part of the Star Wars generation. Thanks for listening. And check back soon for another edition of My Star Wars story.